Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let me go to the book of Romans, chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9, and I'll read through verse 17 before we continue. Verse 9 records, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Let me begin with a question. I like to put things on your mind to center our attentions and thoughts to begin with. Did you encounter anything this week in the world that was broken? I'm not talking about the plumbing or the electrical issue that can't seem to get fixed at the house. I mean in life. It seems inevitable That on a daily basis, multiple times a day, we encounter brokenness and of what seems to be an increasing measure in our day. The news reminds us that the world is not right. Calamity strikes, inequities are all around us, injustices seem to be deeper and greater. Suffering, violence, poverty, addiction, hate, broken relationships, death, and the list could continue on. Brokenness is all around us. And yet we know this, that this is not the way God created the world. I I want to invite you to take this little life booklet this morning. I'm going to walk through it with you. So you'll kind of know where I'm headed, but I want us to see something together, together this morning. And we begin in this way as we open it up, and it simply reminds us that we live in a broken world. And the brokenness that surrounds our life leads us to search for a way to make life work. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can remember a time in your life when you were searching to make life work. Maybe that time is now. Well, brokenness leads us to search for a way, sometimes a way out, sometimes a way through, but at all times to make life work. Go to the next page with me. The Bible tells us 
that God designed the world as a perfect place. Now listen, that can be a little hard sometimes for us to believe, but this is what the scriptures teach. When God created the world, it was full of majesty. It was full of glory. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God spoke and it was so. God looked and it was good. God came and he enjoyed his creation daily and he enjoyed it with the apex of his creation, those he created in his image, people. He created all things with purpose and he created all things with design and he created people in his image to worship him in a unique way and to walk with him daily. The psalmist reminds us in chapter 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But if God created the world perfectly, how did we get to September the 1st of 2019 in the situation of brokenness in which we find ourselves today? Turn with me to the next page. The Bible gives a one-word explanation as the source of all of the world's brokenness. And that word is called sin. You see, life doesn't work when we ignore God and his original design for our lives. And the Bible tells us that we all sin and distort God's original created intention. Romans 3, 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23 reminds us for the wages of sin is death. The consequence of our sin is separation from God, both immediately in this life and ultimately in eternity. What are we to do then? Turn to the next page with me. It tells us that this sin that separates us from God leads us to a place. You might even call that place a reality of brokenness. It's more than just a place. It's everything. And we see this all around us, but as much as we see it around us, we also see it in our own lives. And because of the brokenness we see in our own lives, we look for a way to fix us. We look for a way out. We look for a way to repair the fractures, if you will. And that leads us so often to destructive addictions, to behaviors, to indulgences of pleasure that we believe are going to lead us out. But the more that we run in the direction that brokenness and fractures of life lead us, whether it's addiction or whether it's the indulgent or those patterns of behavior, the more we run in those directions, the more that our mind and our feelings and our heart is shaped by the very brokenness that pressed us in that direction. And it leads us into a further pursuit but only finding greater brokenness, greater pain, deeper pain by the very brokenness from which we begin. You see, the scripture tells us that Satan and sin steals from us. It destroys us. It kills us. And that deep internal brokenness, friends, always leads in every escape route that it offers. It always leads to a dead end. Our inability 
to fix or to escape sin's broken cycle intensifies something even more deeply within us. Because for a moment we forget, and then when we reach the end of that dead-end path we followed, we're reminded all the afresh and anew how truly broken the world is, how deeply painful our brokenness is within us. Regardless of the form, the greatest indicator of brokenness in the world is the testimony of the pain of brokenness that we feel, each of us, within. That's where we know it greatest and deepest. You see, when life is not working, the pain of brokenness leads us to look for that way out, and we tend to go in many directions, trying many different things to figure it out on our own, as I have. I know many of you have followed those same paths. And Romans tells us in chapter 1, verse 25, that what we end up doing is exchanging the truth of God for a lie by worshiping the created things rather than the Creator who is worthy of forever praise. Proverbs 14, 12 also gives us the eternal wisdom of God in this matter when it says, there is a way that seems right to man. For that's why we follow those broken paths and those patterns in the beginning. It seemed right at the time, but as Proverbs tells us, in the end, it is the way to death. You see, friends, dead ends of brokenness lead us to realize we need something greater than only ourself. And sin has an interesting way of bringing us to the end of ourselves. Turn to the next page with me. At this point, we need a remedy. We need some good news. Been a lot of bad news. We feel like it's going to continue. We need some good news. And here's where the good news comes. Because of his great love, God has not left us in our brokenness. But as we are all familiar with John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the scripture records that he lived a perfect life according to God's design in perfect surrender and obedience to the will of the Father. And at the end of that life, he was crucified on the cross. And on that cross, he took our sin and he took our shame. He took our death and he paid our penalty for sin in his own death. And three days later, he, ra he was raised from the dead to provide for us the only way to be rescued from this brokenness, to be restored in this relationship with God. And listen to this beautiful explanation of what Christ has done for us from Colossians. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. And he set it aside by nailing it to his cross. It's there on the cross by faith, friends. Paul tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with 
the Scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that he came for us to do what we could not do for ourselves. He took our place. He atoned for our sin. Let's turn to the next page. But what we see is this, that only hearing the good news is not enough. We must admit our sinfulness and we must stop trusting in ourselves. that this is not news that we can take and bank away for a rainy day. For the scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. They are telling us that today, the day in which you hear the good news of Jesus is when the invitation to receive him by faith comes to you. We don't have the power to escape our brokenness on our own. We need a Savior. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us. And turning from our sin, put our trust in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what it means to repent, to turn from our sin, from ourself, and to trust in Jesus Christ. And in that faith, the Scriptures teach that we receive the new life that Christ has come to give us. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that our right response to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to repent and to believe the good news. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith and this is not from ourselves. It is God's gift to us so that we would not believe and boast in the fact that we had worked to earn it or in some way achieved it on our own. Rather that we've only received it from God. And as the ninth verse of Romans chapter 10 just reminded us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. One last time, would you turn with me? When God restores us into relationship with him, we begin to discover this meaning and this purpose of our lives in the midst of the broken world. You see, now we are able to pursue God's design, not only for our life, but in all areas of our life. And even when we fail, and surely we as Christians fail regularly, we understand that God's path by grace through faith is a path of restoration, of reconciliation. You see, Philippians 2.13, Paul is teaching the church at Philippi about the Christian life and how we progress and traverse this life by faith in Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And he says this, it is God working in you. God is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good Purpose. You see, God brings us into the divine redemptive work that he is doing in the world by his grace. And he tells us we are his creation, that we were created in Christ Jesus. When we repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we were recreated, made new in him for good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do that we should walk in them by obedience. So what should we do in the hearing of good news? 
Well, that's what the next page tells us. What should we do? Now that we've heard, God wants you to respond to him. God wants you to know this life that he sent Jesus to bring to each one who will trust in him. And he wants you to know that today. Might I pause with the booklet? Just hold your place there for just a moment. And might I ask this simple question? Is there anyone here today who would say, I've never responded to this good news? Now you might say this, I've heard it before. I've heard it countless numbers of times. I've heard it in different churches and put in different ways, but there's never been a time when I did anything with it other than to file it away. But today, today, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to me and wants me to respond to what God is saying because I believe he's speaking to me today. Is that you? Does that sound like what's resonating in your heart and ruminating in your mind in this time? Maybe you would say this, that, you know, I've never heard this. I've never heard that Jesus came and what he did on the earth was for me and for my sin. Friends, if today's the first time you heard it, there's not a minimum number of times you must hear it before you can respond in faith. Today, in the first hearing, you can put your faith in Jesus and turn away from your sin and away from yourself and receive the new life that he has come to give. Can I lead us in a prayer for just a moment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Whether this is the first time you've heard it or whether this is the thousandth time that you've heard it, if this is true of you, I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus right now and to receive the life that God has come to give you. You see, whether you've believed in Jesus is of first importance right now above all other things because the scripture teaches that in the hearing of the gospel, that is the moment in the receiving of the gospel. And while a prayer alone cannot save you, if you mean it in your heart, what you confess with your mouth, it is the promise of God he will hear you and save you. Would you simply pray in your heart to God this simple prayer that I guide you in with these words? Dear Jesus, I know my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe you came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for my sin and were rescued or raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know you are Lord of all. I want to follow you. Thank you for saving me. Now would you look back at me? If you prayed this prayer, you meant it with your heart as you stated it with your mind and ultimately with your life.
The promise of God that is that he has rescued you from the domain of Satan's dark kingdom and he has transferred you to the kingdom of his eternal son, the kingdom of light. That he has resurrected you from the dead and made you new with him in Christ. That's God's work. That's what he does for us in Jesus. So what next? What next? Well, the scriptures teach that as a Christian now, a follower of Jesus, that's what that word means, we continue in this life of pursuing God and, and, and of Him working in us to recover that created design for our life. You see, God works in us to make us more like Jesus as we uh, read His word and, and begin to learn what He has said, but not only an intellectual exercise, rather a whole life life immersion and engagement in that. As we talk to God through this practice called prayer and as we know and understand who he is and we talk to him about that and we talk to him about our own brokenness and applying the gospel to those areas of life where he is speaking to us by the spirit that lives within us, his own spirit that he's just put within you. As we worship together and we sense the presence of God among the praises of his people. As we fellowship for encouragement and strength with the local church and the body of Christ. Friends, God is bringing us back a restoration into the very created intention that he had for your life. When he knew you and formed you in the womb. Hear me, God saves every Christ follower to grow and to mature in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And God sends every Christ follower to go back into the brokenness that he has delivered them from, not to be re-inhabited by it, but to bring light where darkness remained. To share hope where hope had been lost. To bring life where death continues to reign, to tell the gospel and invite others to receive Jesus as you have received Jesus. This seems so simple. So simple. Why would I take a book, a big one for some of us? We could use a few more pictures, could we not? Why would I take a book and take time this morning to, to walk you through this? Because this little guide, friends, is, is, is a, a help for us as we follow Christ in our life. And, and let me just say this, that this is a great resource for us to, to help us bring spiritual focus to everyday conversations. Anytime you're walking through our facility and you see one of these, it's yours to pick up and take. Matter of fact, the one that was in your seat today, I want to ask you to take it with you. In a minute, I'll share a story about how potent it can be just to have a resource like this placed in your Bible or in some accessible place. You can put this on your phone. You can go to the app. There's an app for that. Literally, it's the Life Conversation Guide app. You'll see it. You can download it. And just as we've walked through the pages of this book, you can have it on your mobile device and you can walk through it to remind yourself. You can walk through it to show other people in just a few moments how it is that God brings good news into the broken world in which 
we listen. I want to encourage you to download it, familiarize yourself with it, keep it on your home screen so you'll see it. Don't bury it in some stack on another page that you can't remember where it is so that when you see it, you'll remember to use it. Review it for your own encouragement. Last week, I showed how God connects the identity of who we are as we are made new in Christ with what he has commanded us to do in walking in obedience to his word. And I talked about how from that, that that God brings divine purpose to our life. And I talked about one specific act, and that act was the practice of evangelism. And through that one act, how God forms his divine purpose for our life. And you see, that's exactly what we just walked through here. That very practice called evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And what I have learned not only in my life of following Jesus, but also in the ministry of helping and encouraging people and leading people, and even in my own struggle to be faithful in my evangelistic fervor and zeal, that the single biggest challenge to evangelism is this, is simply transitioning conversations into gospel sharing. Bringing Jesus to the center of our daily conversations. And what I want you to see today is this, that Christians evangelize by applying spiritual focus to life through daily conversations. When they share the gospel and invite others to receive Jesus. You don't have to make a walking billboard and show up on the street corners in order to evangelize. Evangelism is the simple practice of bringing a spiritual focus to a daily conversation so Jesus can speak into the center of that conversation to show what he's done in your life and what he can do in the life of others if they'll believe in him. I have three prayers for the use of this three circles, it's called, this life conversation guide. And it's what I call three prayers for more Jesus. I want to share these with you. First of all, I pray that we've come to understand the personal value of evangelism for our own Christian life and following Jesus. You say, what do you mean by personal value? Well, that we are living witnesses for Jesus Christ. This is God's divine purpose for leaving his people in a broken world. Why else would God send us back into the world that he has saved us from? But to walk with him and to help us understand who we are because of whose we are and why we are where we are. And that by what? we are doing. You see, evangelism, we so often think, is not first and foremost about what God can do for others. And I just got to get this out there. I got to tell it. Rather, evangelism is about what God does and what he is doing in us as a faithful witness. For it is the power of God that pervades our lives when we share his saving power in the gospel. The the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1-8, you will receive the Holy Spirit and power will come up on you when the Spirit is filling you. And you, he says, will be my witnesses. It is by the power of the Spirit of God that we testify to the work of God in us and to the work of God for the world. I want to show this to you in a very simple way. If you have your Bible open, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we catch up with two men called Peter and John. And in this time, 
got to put a bookmark here for the next service. Or at least a ribbon, right? In this time, of, or in this chapter rather, what's taking place is they've begun to tell people about Jesus. They've begun to evangelize. And what I want to show you is the personal value of evangelism for your life as we see it in their life. And this group called the Sanhedrin calls them in. Now, if you're not aware of who the Sanhedrin are, they're the group of people that crucified Christ. They falsely accused him, they condemned him, and they convinced the Roman government to crucify him. So what do you imagine might be up next for the people who liked him and get called in by the people who killed him? It's a good time for cowardliness to show up if you need it and to use all of the measure of that. But you know what? That's another broken path of the world. In verse 7, they look at Peter and John and they say, why are you doing this? By what authority do you do this? In verses 8 through 12, Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. Why? Because God promised he would fill us with his spirit and that we would be his witnesses. And Peter explained to them why they were sharing the hope that they had in Christ. Such that in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. There was a boldness in Peter's life. Verse 13 tells us that. When the Spirit of God filled him and he testified, he was a faithful witness. There was a boldness to obey the commands of Christ that came into his life such that it was recognized that people by the very people who cared nothing about Christ. That boldness comes into us as a distinctive characteristic. And not only that, but if you read to the end of chapter 4, you see that even though they were flogged and told to shut their mouths, they could not be quiet and they continued to tell people. And the more they told people, the more boldness became a defining characteristic of their life so that all the believers were praying for the boldness that they had. Ever ask God to give you that? Seen somebody who knew what they were doing or at least seemed like it said, God, if you'll make me like that person, I'll be bold. That's not God's design for your life. God's design is that he's made you like his son. And if you'll trust him, you too will be the bold witness because of the spirit, not because of you. Because of the Spirit in you. When we trust and obey, the Holy Spirit fills us with greater courage that emboldens our obedience. And listen, here's the personal value for your life. That when you trust and obey and you, you begin to share the gospel, the greater focus and clarity on Jesus will have for your whole life. You'll begin to see things about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ you've never seen before. You've never known before. You've never learned before. You've never lived or walked in before. Why? Because all of a sudden, with greater clarity the spirit of God is bringing your life into full focus hidden in Christ the more you share the gospel the greater the joy of Jesus will just well up within you it's funny how at the same time it goes deeper and flows over greater that's your experience of life the more you share the gospel the more boldness you will have for obeying Jesus in any area of your life I'm telling you sharing the gospel will be one of the greatest exercises you ever practice that will remove the no that you want to so often say to God when he tells you what to do and where to go for him it just gives you a yes you're sitting on G.O. 
because you know that's where you want to be with God. Life point, I pray you'll prioritize sharing the gospel to experience more Jesus in your life. Second prayer is I pray for a new pattern of thinking for us regarding evangelism. I want every life pointer to think rightly about evangelism in accordance to what the scriptures teach. Now, I'm going to lean on an author by the name of Rico Tice. Man, I wish I could have his name. That's so cool. He wrote a book called Honest Evangelism. And it's been one of the most eye-opening books to help in my own evangelistic fervor. Here's what he says. He says, evangelism does hurt. I didn't know anybody would ever actually say that, right? I mean, if you're a Christian and you've ever fallen flat on your face trying to tell somebody about God and you feel like you've done nothing but but, uh, tungular gymnastics trying to get around and you're just flailing all over the mat, you know, trying to tell people about Jesus and you realize how painful that becomes, finally somebody validates that. Evangelism can hurt. Yes, it can. But listen to this, hurt in more ways than one. He says this, you do risk your reputation and relationships if you're going to talk about Jesus. There is increasing hostility to the gospel message. But he continues, something else is going on too. There is also an increased hunger. The same rising tide of secularism and materialism that rejects truth claims and is offended by absolute moral standards is proving to be an empty and hollow way to live. It's a dead end, you might say. And so he says this, we must be honest about the hostility or we'll have wrong expectations and give up on evangelism. But we must also be excited about the hunger or we'll have no expectations at all and never begin to evangelize. Hostility and hunger. That's what you'll find, he says, as you tell others about Jesus. And of course, at the moment you open your mouth, you do not know which you're going to be met with and you don't know what your words may do in people years later. You have to risk the hostility to discover the hunger. Life point out, I pray that we will set our heart and mind on the, this excitement of hunger for more Jesus in the world. My third prayer is this that we will make evangelism as simple as possible so everyone will share. That that we would bring a gospel focus to daily conversations simply by recognizing what is and what's going on in the world, but not dismissing the power of God to bring eternal change in people's lives. You see, the fact of the matter is, you're not going to have to go looking for brokenness this week. It's going to be all around you. It's probably going to flare with its greatest intensity within you. You won't have to go looking for it. It will find you. The question is this. Will you let it consume you? Or will you let it remind you? To direct your attentions to the one who has come for you, 
to the one who has lived for you, to the one who died for you, to the one who has risen from the grave for you, to the one who has invited you, to the one, if you will trust, will receive you. I'm praying that will bring spiritual focus to daily conversations by not allowing Jesus to remain absent but by just simply risking the hostility because we're more excited for the hunger people have, for the desperate need so many are trapped in to share Christ with others. I pray we will bring Jesus to the center of our daily conversations to see more Jesus in us, to see more Jesus in the world, to see more Jesus by new people coming to faith in Him, to live with Him. Romans 10, 14 through 17 reminds us that people believe in Jesus when they hear the gospel. Christians share the gospel because God is working in us and He sent us wherever we are, whomever we're with, whatever the situation, we are never where we are without the purpose of God upon our life to be a faithful witness. Christians evangelize by applying spiritual focus to life through daily conversations when they share the gospel and invite others to receive Jesus. Let's pray.